Well, good morning, faith family. Uh, it's good to see you. If you've got a Bible, please go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. It's good to look around. We've got a, some uh, things in here we haven't had for a while, and that's a little bit of room. Uh, this morning, we're launching our live venue in the gym, and that's created uh, some space in our second and third hour services, which means you have an opportunity to invite your friends, your coworkers. Uh, to invite people to come and worship with us. And we're doing that intentionally because we want to have a bigger and broader impact for the sake of the gospel. And so um, just thankful for what the Lord is doing here. You ready for the book of Acts? Be careful what you ask for. This morning is intense. But y'all, it's so, so challenging and yet so encouraging. What's it like to be a Christian in the workplace? What's it like to be a Christian in our culture here in America? What's it like to be a Christian at the school that you go to? We need to be challenged and encouraged with what being on mission is going to mean. And Acts chapter 4 is a very powerful passage to challenge us in that. So let's look at it. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 4, Luke writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's have fun this morning at what God says. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, and they are greatly annoyed because they're teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, well, then let it be known to all of you, in fact, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. God, You've given us a powerful Word. Send Your Spirit now to help us receive it, believe it, and embrace it for the mission that You've called us to. Help us this morning be real about what living for You really means. Challenge us, encourage us, conform us to the image of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, they are America's favorite family from Louisiana. 
whether you like them or not, there is no doubting the fact that over the last few years, Duck Dynasty has gained quite a following. And now their numbers have dropped a little bit, but their season four actually set TV records. Uh, it was the most watched nonfiction cable series ever. It, it gathered about 12 million viewers. In fact, it beat second place at the time by over a million and a half viewers. Now, if you've ever seen the show, you know that it's just a bunch of unshaved guys that like to hunt and fish and act really, really goofy, right? <laughs> Which is probably why I resonate with the show so much. I don't know what that says about me. But many people have watched the show, and because of that, they've said, I don't get it. How is this saying so popular? Why are there so many viewers watching the show? Now, one National Review writer tried to get at that answer by saying this, quote, they are a family that's fun-loving, dedicated to the notion of family, and each show ends around the table with three generations side by side, with the family patriarch leading the family in prayer. And then he says this, that makes Duck Dynasty different from anything on TV. Close quote. You see, if you know anything about the Robertsons, you know that they are outspoken about their faith, and that's actually created some controversy. Uh, Phil Robertson, the dad, was interviewed by the Christian Chronicle, and he shared how early on, when the show first started, the TV producers tried to edit out anything that had to do with Christianity. Specifically, what they kept cutting out was in the final prayer, they didn't want anybody to hear, in Jesus' name. They wanted the name of Jesus removed. And early on, they did. Phil said this to the Chronicle. He said, quote, they pretty much cut out the spiritual things. We say them, but they don't run them. And then he said this. Hollywood has run upon the kingdom of God, and there's a rub. <laughs> Hollywood has run upon the kingdom of God, and there's a rub. Faith family, you better believe there is. Put Duck Dynasty aside. The reality is, is every time the kingdom of God intersects with the kingdom of man, there's always a rub. Attention, some friction, some controversy, some conflict. It is Acts 4. You see, what's happened so far in the book of Acts is the kingdom of God is starting to expand. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, the Spirit's going to come down, and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes down, and they start to speak in different languages. Why? It's a foretaste of what the mission's going to be like, namely a multi-language, multi-ethnic people to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 3, we begin to see what happens as this mission expands. We see lives that are transformed forever by the gospel. Where have we heard that before? 
You have a lame man who's been crippled from birth that's now dancing like MC Hammer in the streets of Jerusalem. And that physical transformation is a sign of all the spiritual transformation that's happening because we've seen thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. What's my point? My point is this. The kingdom of God is advancing and there's about to be a rub. Verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they're teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. See, the news is spreading like a California wildfire. This lame man that they've known for over 40 years is now walking. Thousands of people are being baptized in Jesus' name. This man that the Sadducees thought they had killed is now reportedly alive again. And that news reaches their ears and they are greatly annoyed. They want it shut down. Not another breath about Jesus. I don't want to hear his name again. We want this thing shut down. Just read the next chapter. They will say to the apostles again, stop it. Don't mention Jesus again. Why? Faith family, if you don't get anything else out of today, you got to get this. Please, please get this. There is no mission without persecution. Persecution is not possible. It's promised. It is why Paul says to the church at Philippi, it has been granted to you that you, for the sake of Christ, should not only believe, but suffer for His sake. It is why he says to the church at Thessalonica, we boast about you for your steadfastness and faith in what? All the persecutions and afflictions you're enduring. To the churches of Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, Peter writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. To the church in Antioch in Acts 14, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, right here, will be persecuted. There is no mission without persecution. It is not possible. It is promised. This is the R-rated portion of the sermon. Read the rest of the book of Acts. Stephen stoned. 
Peter and John thrown in prison. James and Matthew had their head cut off. James beaten to death. Andrew crucified. Mark cut into pieces. Peter crucified upside down. Paul imprisoned and beheaded. Jude crucified. Thomas thrown in an oven. Luke hanged from a tree in Athens. There is no mission without persecution. In fact, if you just care, I mean, just study church history, 8100 to 8300, you've got 10 major waves of persecution, thousands of Christians killed, men like Ignatius drugged from, from city to city, men like Polycarp who were thrown to the lions. It's why Tertullian said this, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. You could talk about the 15th century, Luther in Germany, Calvin in France, Wycliffe in England, Zwingli in Switzerland. These were men who, who stood for the fact that the Scripture needs to be translated where people can read it so that they can know the gospel, and they put their life on the line. Luther wrote a song called, Mighty Fortress is Our God, because he needed a mighty fortress to take refuge in. You know, by the 16th century in England, Queen Mary, known as Bloody Mary, burned Christians at the stake. That didn't stop the gospel. You had Whitfield and Wesley and the Puritans where the gospel continues on. You're talking about the mid-1600s to the 1800s and beyond. The Enlightenment. Christianity is not challenged now by swords and fire and blood. It's challenged by the intellect, modern science, atheism. Men like Darwin and Kant that would say Christianity doesn't hold up because it doesn't pass the smell of human reason. And yet, what do you have? You have the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and mission agencies established all over the world. You could talk about right here today, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, places where people live for fear of their life simply because they are Christians. And even right here in America, more and more the Christian faith gets marginalized and is trying to be edited out. No mission without persecution. I'm not being pessimistic. I didn't wake up in a bad mood this morning. I'm not being Debbie Downer. I'm simply telling you what the Bible has told us and history has proven. It's not possible. It's promised. But you don't find the apostles in Acts 4 saying, what do bad things happen to good apostles? <laughs> Nobody's asking that question. You know why they're not asking that question? Because Jesus told them there'd be days like this. John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember this, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Faith family, right here. The issue is not will you face persecution, it's how much. If you take the mission of God seriously, did you think there would not be a cost? What part of taking up a cross and following Jesus sounded comfortable 
I'm totally serious. The reality of the mission is persecution. Now, there is good news. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I'm really glad I came to church today. Woohoo! Pumped up. Let's go get persecuted for Jesus. No, listen, there's some good news. Look at verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. What's taking place in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved and identify themselves with Jesus through baptism. Acts chapter 2, they grew in favor with the people. Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men, which may represent much more, maybe 20,000, maybe 10,000. That's just the men that were counted, not counting the women women and children and families. In other words, faithfulness to the mission means this. You're going to attract people and you're going to annoy people. I don't know you're thinking, Pastor, you're really good at the second one, right? The annoying people. But it's attractional. All these people are hearing the word and they believe. And it's annoying people, particularly religious people. And I love it when religious people get ticked off. (laughs) It's what the gospel does. We're going to be persecuted and we're going to be popular. Let let me say this, a little soapbox here. Churches that are all attractional are not preaching the gospel. Churches that are all annoying have forgotten love. That was worth your price of admission right there which I know is free. Churches that, Christians that are all attractional are not living out the gospel. Christians that are all annoying have forgotten love. Why? Because what do you see when you look at the life of Jesus? Attraction and repelling. That's what the fragrance of Christ will do in the culture. There is no mission without persecution Why? Why? I'm going to give you three reasons. Why are these Sadducees so hacked off? Verse 2. The gospel makes you think differently. It reshapes your theology. Look what happens. They're greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Guess what the Sadducees didn't believe? The resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees didn't believe in supernatural things. Have you heard that before? Which is really interesting given that there's a guy standing right beside them that just got supernaturally healed. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, I love this, they had nothing to say in opposition. It's like, this is so good. I don't believe in the supernatural, except for that supernatural healing of this guy right beside me. Don't you understand? Listen, it's never been about evidence. People who have the evidence right before their eyes, and yet they cannot see. It reminds me of a hilarious cartoon by Luther and Satire. I don't know if you've ever seen their YouTube channel. And they have this little cartoon of Donald and Connell, and they have a conversation with Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist. And it's all about 
the resurrection, like in Acts 4. Take a look. But what about all that stuff that defies scientific explanation? Isn't that evidence of God's existence? Yeah, riddle us that, Patrick. Stuff like what? Well, how about the multitude of miracles in the Bible, chief among them the resurrection of our Lord Jesus? Oh, you sweet little simpletons, people don't rise from the dead. Except for that one time Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, that was awesome. No, what I'm saying is that Jesus never rose from the dead. And how do you know that, Patrick? Because it's not possible for people to rise from the dead. Yeah, we know. That's why it was sort of a big deal when Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> Look, I think you're far too uneducated to understand this, but if people could rise from the dead, then people would rise from the dead. If Jesus could rise from the dead, surely someone else would have risen from the dead as well. Other people have risen from the dead. Like who? Like all the people in the Bible who rose from the dead because Jesus rose them from the dead not long before he himself rose from the dead. <laughs> well, obviously you can't count those examples. Why not, Patrick? Because they come from the Bible, and the Bible is a ridiculous book full of silly stories that couldn't possibly happen, like... People rising from the dead? Exactly. Right. So according to you, the resurrection doesn't prove the existence of God because it never happened. And we know it never happened because we know that people can't rise from the dead. And we know that people can't rise from the dead because no one ever has risen from the dead if you don't count all the people who have risen from the dead. <laughs> I love it. It is exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 4. Here's the point. It has never been about evidence. It's always been about spiritual blindness. Because Paul says in Romans 1 that God is seen in creation. In Romans chapter 2 that the law of God is written on our hearts. But the reality is in Romans 1, although they knew God, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you know why the gospel always brings persecution with it? Because it reshapes all that we believe. Can I just tell you this morning, I believe in a virgin birth. I believe that God became a man. I believe a corpse was stone cold dead in a tomb and three days later walked out. I believe, not just because there is evidence and there is, but because the gospel demands it. And that will put you on the opposite side of most human thinking. As Paul said to the church in Corinth, it is foolishness to the world, but it is the wisdom of God. Amen? Amen. But that's not comfortable when we first hear it. And that's going to make you look real odd in the culture because to believe the gospel is to submit to how God has revealed himself. Number two, is the gospel not only reshapes our theology, it also removes our authority. Notice what's going on here. In verse 4, many of them heard the word believed, and there's about 5,000 of them. So you got people that are turning to Jesus. Now, who are these religious leaders? Verse 6, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, now listen, in our day, religious leaders aren't that significant. I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. That's just true. They don't hold a lot of celebrity in the culture. But that's not the case in the ancient Near East. To be the high priest, to be of the high priestly family meant you were a rock star. Man, people wanted to spend time with you. They wanted your autograph. You walk down the street. Everybody wants to talk with you 
with you, they were kind of a big deal. And here's what's happening. 5,000 men have just turned to Jesus, which means they've turned away from the Sadducees. They can feel their power eroding. They can feel their authority being removed. In other words, they're thinking this, if this movement continues, we'll be nobodies. Because that's what the gospel does. It strips you of all your authority. It's why the mission always brings persecution because the message is this. You're going to have to bow to the King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And what that means is you don't run your life anymore. It's not your money. It's not your time It's not about your name, your agenda. Are you feeling a little bit of rub? You should, because when the kingdom of God intersects with the kingdom of man, there's always a rub. It is what's happening here. And then if that wasn't enough, this tipped the scale. The gospel exposed their immorality. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Oh, verse 12. Y'all have no plans this afternoon, do you? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a mouthful. And let me tell you what that does. It actually does all three. Let me just tell you the first two again quickly. That challenges their theology in this way. Okay, come here, come here, come here for just a second. In the Sadducees' mind, the name is Yahweh. Do you know what the apostles have just said? There is no other name but Jesus. Translation, Yahweh is Jesus. For the Sadducees, they had no idea what to do with that. And not only is Yahweh Jesus the name, that name is Jesus, you have to bow to him because there is no other name. It's stripped them of their authority. See, one of the things a preacher has to do is to bring you into this text. I am, I'm intense because the text is intense, and I want you to feel it. I want you to emotionally be engaged in this process. So let me ask you to put the cap on your mind of thinking like the world thinks. Think like the world thinks. In this sense, tell me if this makes you feel uncomfortable. Don't, don't think like you know the word, just think like the culture. Does this make you feel uncomfortable? All religions are not equal. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That means the only way you find salvation is in Jesus Christ. How does that play in our culture? It brings a rub. You see? But here's what it does in addition to those two things. And you got you to think a little bit on this. 
There is not salvation outside of Jesus. Or salvation is only in Jesus. These are Sadducees. They are religious leaders. Which means they think this. Come here. Salvation comes by keeping the law. When the apostles say there is no other name by which you can be saved but Jesus, here's what they're doing. They're telling people who thought they could be good enough that they'll never be good enough. Why does persecution always accompany the mission? Because it's an exclusive message that says this. You cannot believe what you want. You cannot live how you want, and you cannot do it on your own. Take a breath. It's intense. It's the Word of God. Which means this, faith family. Hear me, hear me. They won't persecute us for building playgrounds. They won't persecute us for handing out soup. They won't persecute us for painting homes. All of which we must do because we want to be good and do good deeds that they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. But if we take the mission seriously, a mission that declares there is no other name but Jesus, there will be a rub. It makes me wonder, Maybe we're not experiencing too much persecution in America. Maybe we haven't experienced enough. That's tough, guys. But there is no mission without persecution because the mission is all about declaring Jesus. Amen? You with me? If that's the truth, then we need something. We need something. And I'm going to let Luke show us what that is. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the what? Boldness of Peter and John. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Say it. Boldness. Look at the last phrase of verse 31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the Word of God with what? Say it. Boldness. Do you see the flow of the text right here? The mission brings persecution because the message of Jesus is exclusive, which means if you're going to take the mission seriously, you're going to have to be bold. We're going to have to be bold. And so I end this morning with this. How do we get boldness? Are we like the lion and the wizard of Oz and, you know, somebody's just going to hand us a medal and all of a sudden we're courageous? Or are we going to look within and try to garner up the courage? No. I'm going to show you very quickly five things that these Christians had that will fuel our boldness to embrace the mission. Number one is these men absolutely believed in the power of God. In verse 7, when they're asked, by what power do you do this? Look at their answer in verse 10. 
Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. In other words, the question is, by what power? The answer is the power of God. Short and sweet. They were bold because they believed in the all-powerful nature of God. John MacArthur told a story one time when he was in junior high, and there was like this Steve Urkel kind of kid, you know, nerdy, very weak. Everybody picked on him. And there were some older kids that stuffed him in a locker, just making fun of him and picking on him. And he got out of the locker and he said, that's enough. I've had enough. I'm going to do something. And John MacArthur talks about, remember, thinking, this kid ain't going to do anything. He's so weak. He's, he's puny. The next day rolls around and that little weak kid goes up to those older kids and said, hey, could you come around the corner of the school building with me for just a moment? And they're thinking, well, sure, we ain't afraid of you. They walk around the corner, and that weak kid's older brother is standing there who just so happened to play linebacker for San Diego State. <laughs> that older brother picked up one of those boys and threw him in the bushes with his legs dangling out from the top. And all the other boys ran like wildfire. And John MacArthur said, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Here's what he said, quote, it doesn't matter how weak you are when you've got power backing you up. Amen? Fate family, you hear me. If the God who said, let there be light, and there was, if the God who said, let that stone roll away, and it did, if he's with us, if he's in us, if he's for us, it doesn't matter how weak we are, we've got power backing us up. Amen? Boldness comes from believing the power of God. Not only were they convinced of the power of God, but notice also here in verse 13, we see this power, this boldness that comes from being in the presence of Jesus. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? Duck Dynasty. <laughs> Uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized what? That they had been with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so sweet? Do you know where their boldness came from? By being with a bold Savior. Here's what I think is happening. The very council that killed Jesus now sees his same boldness in his followers. It means this, you're never going to be bold if you don't spend time with him. If you're not communing with him, daily, seeking Him in His Word, thinking about Him, worshiping Him. You see, it's in His presence that boldness comes. The power of God, the presence of God. And then notice what they do as soon as they're released. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Do you know what they did? They took comfort in the people of God. You ever struggled with boldness? You ever felt like giving up? You ever been in the midst of chaos and not known how you were going to get through? God has given us one another to refuel us, 
to come together weekly and even throughout the week. This is why missional communities is at the DNA of our vision. It's people who are coming together in life rhythms for the sake of mission because fellowship is partnership for the mission of God. And there's going to be times you're going to get tired and weary and want to throw in the towel and want to give up, but the people of God will not let you. You and I were not called to do this mission alone. Thank you, Jesus. The power of God, His presence when we're with Him, His people who refuel us and encourage us. But notice also what they believed when they came together, verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their eyes together to God and said, oh, this is so sweet, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they go on to quote Psalm 2. In other words, oh, come on, come on. There is a direct connection between our boldness and our view of God. Little God, little boldness. Big, sovereign God. who has our life in his hands, who's got the whole world in his hands, then what are you afraid of? They sang Psalm 2, which I know you remember from the mixtape series. Just play along. It's a psalm about what? God's authority over all human authorities. And lastly, they knew they had the approval of God. I'm going to end with this. Notice the difference between how the apostles respond and how the Sadducees respond. Verse 19. And Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And then notice the Sadducees, verse 21. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. Do you see the contrast there? The apostles confident. You judge for yourself. Here's what I know. I can't help but to talk about what I've seen and heard. Sadducees, we'd really like to do more, but we can't because look at all the people and what they might do to us. What keeps us from being bold, faith family, be honest, is we want the approval of others. And nothing will make us more irrelevant to the mission of God than the disease to please So what's the cure? If the disease is to please, what's the cure? You won't be shocked by this. The gospel. Listen, 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 listen. The power for gospel proclaiming comes from the gospel. What? What do you mean? Because only the gospel can overcome your idolatry for approval. How? Oh, this is good. you got to get this. Because the gospel says this. 
You don't need to have the desire to be accepted by everyone because you've already been accepted by the ultimate one. Do you see? The power to preach the gospel comes from the gospel because I already know I've been approved by God in Jesus. I love you. I love you, but my identity's not based on you or what you think of me. That was already determined at the cross. So I can say like Paul in Galatians 1, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you see how the gospel actually frees you to proclaim it? Let the religious leaders be cowards. Let gospel people be bold. It is why the apostles look square in the face of the very council that killed Jesus and said, you can beat us because we've seen you beat a man before. You can imprison us because we've seen you put a man on trial before. You can kill us because we've seen you kill a man before. Oh, by the way, how'd that turn out? He walked out of the grave. Gospel boldness comes from knowing there is nothing the world can do to us that Jesus hasn't already done for us. So what are you afraid of? You mark it down today. When the kingdom of God intersects with the kingdom of man, there's a rub. Always has been. Persecution isn't possible, it's promised. Because our mission is more than building playgrounds. It is declaring an exclusive message. A message that religious leaders in Jerusalem and TV producers in Hollywood have been trying to edit out for years. But it still rings loud and true today, a message that can change you and save you forever. It is the message of Acts 4. Here it is. Salvation is only in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Wow. Oh, so challenged, so challenged by your word this morning, and yet encouraged. Uh, it, it is spiritually weird like that. It challenges us because there's probably many of us in this room that don't feel we're as bold as we should be. And I'm thankful that your grace meets us right where we've fallen. At the same time, it encourages us because we know that moving forward as we together, as we together in a faith family say, um, we're going to preach Jesus. 
we're going to live Jesus. We're going to point the world to Jesus that persecution will come. And we take encouragement that it's not new. And you will work in it to spread your kingdom to places that it might not go without. So thank you in advance. God, use us. Give us your spirit this morning, a spirit of boldness for the sake of the mission. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen.